Metallica using two clips from the Styx album, The Grand Illusion, released in 1977 when I was 10 years old and the rest of most of you were 30. <laughs> Boo. Uh, my name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teacher here in The Guardian. And by the way, just a reminder, the first Sunday in October, we start an 11 o'clock service in here. So uh, just keep that in mind if it fits your schedule, if you know people that it might help get them here. Um, today we're looking at Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 through 15 in this series called Grace and Religion is Like Oil and Water, and the concept being that religion is actually everything opposite of faith and grace and mercy. And today's message is called Religion, the Grand Angry Illusion. And the concept behind that is that what religion does is it gives you the illusion of being close to God, but all it really does is create disunity and arguing and fighting. Matter of fact, we studied this for a few weeks in the book of James a couple years ago when we did that, that series on James. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off by reading some of the passage, and then just as we do normally, there's a long passage, so I'll read some of it for you. And then I'll put some focus points up on the screen. So for the first part, Galatians chapter 5, 1 through 15. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, in your freedom. Do not submit again to slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no use to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the entire Jewish law. And you will be severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For the Spirit, for through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. They're both the same. But only faith working through love. <clears throat> and then if you look at this part, here's what Paul says. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven, a, li a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. In other words, I have confidence that when everything is said and done, you're going to be back where you're supposed to be. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, if I, if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And look at this last part. I wish those who unsettle you, in other words, those who are causing a bunch of division, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Now, we'll get to that. You know I can't ignore that. Right? And let me explain why. Because in Greek, Greek is set up where the sentences are really long. The sentences are like paragraphs long for the purpose of emphasis. And there are two par or three paragraphs in this passage. The first one, the last one, and the middle one, which is very short. Guess which one the middle one is? Verse 12. <laughs> it stands by itself. Okay, so Paul wants a little emphasis there. And he uses language that emphasizes. We'll talk about it in a minute. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, in other words, an opportunity to sin, but through love, use your freedom to serve one another. 
for the, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So as you guys know, we like to break down the scripture through three different ways, the historical, the theological, and the devotional. History asks, what about man? What did he do? Why did he do it? So let's go through really quickly and make sure you understand the historical concepts in this passage. These religious people had come, these Judaizers had come, and they had caused significant conflict and intense division among the Christians in Galatia. These were non-Jewish Christians, Christians who were Gentiles, like most of us are. And the Judaizers were people who taught that it's not just Jesus, you have to have Jesus and religion. And they had caused significant conflict. But Paul says, look, there is past evidence that your faith was real. Your faith is working. It showed in the past that you had unity and that you, have, you were coming together. You were growing in Christ. So there is definitely proof that you know Jesus. But someone has caused division and you're fighting with each other and it has halted your progress in Christ. But Paul says, I have confidence, not in you, by the way, but I have confidence that God will make sure that you get back on the right track. I think this refers to some other things that Paul says, that he who began a good work and you will be faithful to complete it until the day of salvation. But then Paul expresses what he hopes happens to those causing division. In verse 12, he says, I wish that they would emasculate themselves. Is anybody uncomfortable? Look, it's in the scriptures. I'm not going to hide and pretend like it's not there. So I was thinking about this week. I was reading it. I met with my Thursday small group, and I was asking them, how, do, how should I communicate? Because Paul's making it very clear. He wants, it's almost like Paul put this in bold and underlined it with emoticons after it, like knife emoticons. <laughs> As I said, how should I communicate? This is very uncomfortable. And one of them said, you should use like a scream. So here it is. <laughs> That's what I was thinking all week as I was studying this. No! But he used such harsh imagery about castration when talking about the religious. You follow what I'm saying here? He wanted them to accidentally castrate themselves instead of performing circumcisions on non-Jewish Christians. That's amazing. Paul was probably not going to win any elections. But what he says is, after that, he says, listen, you have been given freedom to serve. Not for personal success. And at the end, he says, you know, be careful you don't devour yourself. You know what he's really saying there? He's saying that spiritual and religious ambition or accomplishment always ends in conflict. If you are trying to be a good Presbyterian that is not what Paul says you should be trying to be. 
So that's the historical of what's going on in the passage. Let's look at the theological. What about God? What does he do? Why does he do it? Well, there are a couple things that we understand here. What God is teaching us is this. A gospel containing man, will, and efforts produces division. A gospel that contains man's will and efforts produces division. That's what the Judaizers were. They were a gospel that took Jesus and combined it with man's will and effort. And here's why. First of all, religion demands that you meet a challenge. And you experience this thrill of success. Somehow you get this victory accomplishment through your hard work and your determination and your intelligence and your will and your discipline. Do you understand that when you have a connection to God that is based upon combining Jesus with will and effort, that there's no real room for unity? There's only really a room for personal achievement. So religion demands you meet a challenge. Religion demands affirmation. I mean, what good is it to progress and meet a challenge if you don't get affirmation and acknowledgement of that progress and the effort that you're putting into it? Well, I think I'm doing good, but nobody's telling me. See, religion demands that you get a measuring stick, that you get measured, that you get told whether you're doing the right thing the right way. You demand to know if you're making progress. That as well destroys unity. Because where are you focused? How am I doing? You know what else religion demands? It demands effort to seek God's approval. You see, religion sees the body of Christ. Religion sees the church and its people. Listen carefully and see, hopefully you're not following into this trap. Religion sees the church as a collection of tools and resources to improve our standing with God. To improve our spirituality. To improve how we feel about ourselves. And figuring out the best way to use these tools and resources as a means to supply and make up for our deficiencies. For example, I go to church when I'm feeling guilty. I'll go to church when I need cleansing. I go to church because I like, you know, to... To, to be encouraged and admonished, or not admonished, we don't like that. We like to be encouraged. Maybe you go to church for a host of other reasons. And it's a subtle difference, right? But what happens is, if your mindset is Jesus and religion, you see the church as a collection of tools and resources to make yourself make progress. See, Paul was saying that if you don't stay free in grace and the gospel, you will begin to fight and devour each other. As a matter of fact, James talked about that, and we'll reference that in just a little bit. But a gospel comprised of man's will and efforts produces division. But look at the next theological concept that we learn in this passage. A gospel containing only grace and faith which is a gift, faith, brings unity. Here's why. Faith 
which is a gift, desires to experience God's grace and victory. It desires to be a part of God's family, God's people. Even this, John says, this is the victory that overcomes the world. What is it? Our religion? No, he says, this is the victory that overcomes the world. It is our faith. Faith desires to experience victory through God, not through effort. You know what else faith desires? Faith, which is a gift, desires to give God all the credit. I've told you guys many times, you want to know if something is true theologically or biblically? If it gives God all the glory, it's truth. If it gives a man any bit, it's a lie. That's the way it is. God gets all the credit. God deserves all the glory. You know what else faith desires? Faith desires to trust in God, not desire to work toward God. Because we understand in faith that we cannot achieve God's presence. We cannot work into God's presence. We cannot approach God's presence. What we understand through faith is is this. Grace and mercy take us from depravity, lift us up, and carry us to God's presence. Faith comes down into the grave, takes us up. You were dead in sins, and he quickened you and made you alive in Christ Jesus. Faith comes down, makes us alive, puts it on his shoulders, and carries us over to God and says, here's God's presence. So faith desires trust in God, not work toward God. You know what else faith desires? Faith desires and rejoices in weakness, and faith loves loves to capitulate to mercy. We were talking about that word on Thursday night with my group. I kind of was kind of go over in this lesson with them because I know last week I offended some of you, so I wanted to make sure I was even more offensive, so I talked to 20-somethings. And so um, <clears throat> faith desires to capitulate to mercy. It loves to throw itself down onto mercy. Do you see the difference between religion and faith? Faith seeks to build up the church and its people for the church's benefit, not for its own. Matter of fact, Paul says in Corinthians, love doesn't seek its own. And in Acts 20, 35, it says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Yet somehow we come to church looking to do what? Receive. Because we need it for our religious effort. But we're free from that, guys. So that brings me to the devotional application of this passage, right? Why is religion divisive? Why was it that the Judaizers were causing the Galatians to fight and bicker with one another? Yes, you have to be circumcised. No, you don't. Yes, you do. No, you don't. No, we need to do all the other things too. No, we don't. We just need Jesus. No, we need Jesus and this. And Paul says there's a lot of stirring and unsettling among you because of this. Why is religion divisive? Because spiritual ambition hinders intimacy. Think about it. How can you have relationships when your focus is performance? How can that be unconditional love when your focus is how are you doing as a Presbyterian? You know why else religion is divisive? Because guilt from failure blocks your ability to serve because you become obsessed with self-centered depression. 
So you've got this measure, right? You've got this goal you're trying to obtain. You're trying to work in it. You're trying to be better at it. And then you fail, and what happens? Now you're looking, woe is me, I suck. How can you focus on other people when all your focus is on self-centered depression because you didn't measure up to what was an illusion in the first place, which is you could work toward God? You know why else religion is divisive? Because religious hypocrisy covers what we really are. And you know what happens when you use hypocrisy to hide what your religious failures are? You know what you rob yourself of? Sincerity. Do you see how hypocrisy is the opposite of sincerity? Because, see, you can't have intimacy, you can't have unity without sincerity. And you can't have sincerity if you're trying to do a good job of covering up your deficiency. I hope that makes sense. You know what else makes religion divisive? It's very easy for us to focus on other people's faults to minimize our own. You know why we focus on other people's faults? Because we're afraid of just how crappy we are inside. That's not capitulation. That's covering up. And when you cover up, you're not vulnerable. And when you're not vulnerable, you're not sincere. And when you're not sincere, you're not truthful. When you're not truthful, you can't have intimacy with God's people. James says, where does fighting and warring come from among you? It comes because you look to fulfill your own spiritual lusts and needs and desires. That's why the church fights, James says. Everybody's trying to be a good Presbyterian. So why is faith unifying? This is the fun part. Why is it that faith, faith alone, Jesus alone, no man's efforts, no man's will, faith alone, why is that unifying? See, faith reverses all that stuff that religion brings. Guilt, fear, hypocrisy, anxiety. All that stuff that causes division is reversed by faith. Why? Because here's why. Faith, first of all, listen guys, faith robs you of spiritual ambition. Faith says, you don't need that. You just need me. You don't need to be a good Presbyterian. You just got to trust in the blood of Christ. You know what else faith does? You know why faith is unifying? Because it frees you to serve out of humility instead of paralyzing you by guilt. Well, I can't do any service. Look at me. I'm a mess. I'm a liar. I'm a cheater. I'm a stealer. I'm an addict. I can't help anyone. You know what faith does? Faith says, yeah, you're all those things, but you're forgiven. So come serve out of humility. Religion says you're not good enough. You're not anywhere near close to God to serve. Faith frees you to serve out of humility instead of paralyzing you by guilt. You know why else faith is unifying? It reveals what you really are. Watch so that you can be transparent and genuine through grace. Hear what I said? What faith does is it reveals just how depraved you are and how much you need Jesus. And once it reveals it and you accept it and you capitulate to the fact that you 
cannot please God, once you capitulate to that fact, yes, I'm a sinner and I've got grace. That was exhausting before Jesus. And now all of a sudden, you're free. You know why else faith is unifying? It's a, it obsesses about the cross and grace and mercy instead of the flaws of others. Look, I know some of you guys are flawed, trust me. You know that I'm flawed. Look, you guys know that I'm flawed. And I like it that. I like the fact that you know that I'm a sinner. I love it. Because that puts the obsession not on me or on you. It puts the obsession on the cross of Jesus. It puts the obsession on grace. It puts the obsession on mercy. It puts the obsession on forgiveness. Not on religious works. Not on whether I'm smart enough to make a decision to do the right thing. Spiritually. See, this is the freedom to serve that Paul was talking about as opposed to what religion does, which he said had unsettled and caused conflict and division among the Galatian church. So how can this apply to your life? I'll start by just telling you how it applies to my life. Newsflash, I'm a terrible Christian. So are you. But guys... This is why I love grace so much. And I guess why it's why I get along so well with other broken sinners. And why I fight with religious people. (laughs) You know why I get along with sinners? Because we aren't intimidated by each other's spiritual progress. Which is pretty much non-existent. Because no matter who I am or who they are, we all know we come from the same place, total depravity. Total depravity overcome by grace, sovereign grace, sovereign mercy, and Ephesians 2, the gift of faith. And each day, instead of us worrying about what we need to do spiritually, we are obsessed with how much we need grace today instead. Each day, I can tell you this, the people that are closest to me, people I'm with every week, whether nightlife, you know, a Thursday night group, or my family, or friends, you know, that we hang out with, the people that are closest to me know that we can bask together in the comfort of total capitulation to grace. And while I understand that we desire to live a life that is pleasing to God, I'm not discounting that because Paul says your freedom is not so that you can just fulfill the flesh. It's freedom so that you can serve in humility. Understand that. So this is not a license. Do whatever you want. But you know what? I think most people know around me that I'm not going to judge them. And they know why I'm not going to judge them because I know I suck too. This is why the people that are closest to me know that we're truly equals and that we can all capitulate to grace together because we know what we are. We're broken. And there is no 
reason to hide it. None. Because then, if we don't hide it, then we can know what grace and mercy have done in the midst of our depravity. If somebody looks at my life and says, man, you preach every week. I said, no, isn't that crazy and incredible that grace and mercy can put me up here to preach God's word? It's ridiculous. It's insane. I can't. I don't understand how it happens. All of a sudden, boom, I'm preaching. Three years later, I have not had one tomato thrown at me. It's wild. So in my group, instead of trying to get people to be good Presbyterians, you know what I like to do? I like to make sure everybody knows you don't have to put on any fake spirituality. All you have to do is put on what? Vulnerability. I love when people become vulnerable. Because we are what we are. And when we see what grace and mercy does in our midst, that's stunning. And you know what happens? Here's why it creates unity. When we're all vulnerable and we all recognize we're sinful and we need grace, it creates this common bond that unifies us, that brings us together. We once were lost, we were dead in sin, faith ripped us out of the grave, put us on its shoulders, carried us toward God, dropped us off, went back for another trip for some other people. In the meantime, we're saying, can you believe how depraved we were? Now we're in front of God, and now we get to talk to each other and preach, and we're vulnerable, and we don't have to hide the fact that we were depraved, that we're sin. Can you believe? And we're sitting here, and we're enjoying the common bond of depravity turned to righteousness. It frees us from competing with one another. And it frees us from competing spiritually to just loving and serving. Guys, that's the kind of church family culture we need. I don't want us to be held prisoner by the need to accomplish spiritually. I don't want us to be held prisoner for the fear of being criticized or judged by someone else. But I want us all to know that we realize that we are hopeless outside of 100% sovereign grace and mercy in our lives. I want us to capitulate to grace and mercy and trans, uh, transparency and vulnerability. Not a focus on how the church can help you, but rather how much you love the fact that the church is just like you. Depraved, saved anyway. Because here's what happens, guys. Religion creates the illusion of trying to accomplish and in the process of that, it creates spiritual competition and, according to Galatians 5 and James, painful division. But you know what faith creates? It creates a race to capitulate to grace and mercy and unity. So together, in the complete recognition of our depravity, let's all... Just run as fast as we can and capitulate to God's grace, God's mercy, and God's unity 
and in vulnerability cast off our masks of Presbyterianism, of Christianity, and just say, you know what? We need Jesus desperately. 